Welcome to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. Kevin is the founder of Missional Marketing, which is a Christian advertising agency that helps churches use digital media such as Google and Facebook to help reach beyond their walls and invite people in. Kevin grew up a Mennonite and converted to Catholicism as an adult. He's married. He and Christine are married. They have three daughters, one in high school, middle school, and elementary school. God bless Kevin. <laughs> and so how I got to know Kevin, I mean, I've always known him and stuff like that, but when his daughter Alexis was uh, joined the edge in sixth grade, Kevin joined our core team. And Kevin um, ministers on Monday nights here in this very room. When we have t this room is just packed with middle school kids. He's ministered faithfully. He's an incredible minister to the kids. He also, because now Alexis is in high school and his middle daughter Peyton is in, or I'm sorry, Reagan is in middle school, he ministers both Sunday night at Life Teen and Monday night um, at The Edge. And from time to time, he's done presentations. He comes up on retreat with us. Um, I see Kevin as a, uh, he's gone on The Edge camps with us, which is four days where we go up on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and a Thursday, and he ministers to the middle school kids up there. And he does an exceptional job. And I felt, one time Kevin last year, like last about this time last year, he was doing a talk for The Edge. And I mean, all the little middle school kids were all listening to them. And if you've ever worked with middle school kids, it's like trying to herd cats. So, but he had their attention. And so I thought, if he could have and inspire the intention of middle school kids, just possibly he could minister to the men of the parish. So without further ado, here's my good friend, Kevin Pack. Kevin, thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Good old honest Abe. Uh, you guys didn't know he was the start of the digital age, did you? <laughs> so hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. Um, for those of you who don't know me and you might be wondering, what the heck is the rest of this breakfast going to be like? Is this guy going to be boring? Is he going to be um, uh, funny? Well, um, I'm just going to start with kind of sharing a little bit of advice when you're thinking about criticizing me. And some of you probably heard this, but think about that as you're <laughs> thinking how, how well of a presenter I was. So I am going to be honest with you guys, though. Um, if I am boring to just about everybody, um, if just one of you guys finds something out of uh, my talk today, and maybe it presents a little bit of different way to think about your faith or your prayer life, I would count that as a win. So, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I won't be boring. So, but anyway, who am I, and and why was I given a microphone? Uh, so, some of you guys might have seen me and my family around the church over the years. Uh, as Kevin said, I've been blessed to be married to my wife Christine for about 17 years. Uh, we've got three children. Christine and I actually met at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, and uh, I was actually a waiter in her sorority, which was pretty smart on my part, right? <laughs> Talk about a, a thing to do for, for college guys is work as a waiter at a sorority. It's great. So how I got to Purdue, though, it's actually a really interesting story. Um, when I was in middle school, I started work at a, uh, a country club as a caddy, and um, I worked there all through high school moved from being a caddy to working in the golf shop. And actually, with the, um, with the connections I made there at the, at the country club and the work I did, I actually got a full-ride scholarship to Purdue. That's, it's designated for caddies. I know, who would ever think that existed? But 
If you guys ever remember the movie Caddyshack from the 80s, this movie was actually about a, a, a young guy who was in high school, and he caddied and he got a scholarship. And actually, Bill Murray's brother, this is Bill Murray, his brother, Ed Murray, got the same scholarship I got. And so the movie kind of was based a little bit on that. So it was a great scholarship. I had a full-ride scholarship, tuition and housing for all my years at Purdue. And so it was crazy. It was amazing. But people ask me then, though, if I was a caddy, how good am I at golf? Um, well, with three kids, I haven't played golf in 14 years. So that's the first thing. And, and secondly, um, this visual is a good example. When, when I play golf, that's the ball, that's my swing. So, but, but yeah, it was a great deal. My parents were so happy, especially because my younger brother got the same scholarship, so they were amazing. So now, if I can just find a, a golf course for my three daughters, I'd be all set. <laughs> be good to go. So, I, I, uh, I, I ended up at Purdue studying business and finance. Um, graduated there in the mid-90s. And then exactly 20 years ago, Christine and I moved to Arizona. We got married a few years later, so I'm going to show you guys a picture of our wedding. So our wedding was actually pretty unique. We were married by a Catholic priest on a beach in the Florida Keys. How do you pull that off? <laughs> There's a diocese in Florida that's really flexible with their priests and where they let them marry. And so that's what we did. And um, actually, at the time, I wasn't Catholic yet, so I'll talk more about that in a bit. But here's a picture of our family. So you guys might have seen us. So yeah, I've got three daughters, 14, 12, and 9. So I'm surrounded by women, which is great. I love it. But as I mentioned, I grew up in Indiana, and my faith journey has been pretty unique. Um, I grew up in the Mennonite church. And uh, a lot of times when people hear about Mennonites, they think, um, they think about Amish. And don't worry, when I was growing up, we had uh, television. And my parents drove a car instead of an Amish buggy. So we were, we were not Amish. Um, for those of you not familiar, uh, Mennonites are Christians who are neither Catholic nor Protestant, but they're sharing ties of both. Mennonites are not Amish, but there's, there's a similar origin there. What you see the biggest difference in is approaches to society. So Amish shy away from technology, keep away from secular items, and obviously dress very plainly. When you look at Mennonites, Mennonites participate in society and dress pretty much like all of us. It's interesting, Mennonites actually came out of um, the Anabaptist movement in Europe in the 16th century, and that came about to move away from baptizing infants. With Mennonites, baptism comes later in life at, at your own choosing. Um, so for me, that time just never arrived. I went through high school and college, and I just, I never felt the call to join the church and, um, and be baptized. You know, I always, uh, I always believed in God. I just, I just never felt that call. And then when I met Christine, she was Catholic. This is the usual story, right? My wife was Catholic from birth. And so naturally, I started going to Mass. And I got to be honest, it was, it was pretty foreign to me. Um, I, I never knew. <laughs> I never knew when do you stand up, when do you sit down, when do you spin around, right? And it was always... <laughs> It was amazing to me how, out of the blue, the entire congregation would stand up, and then they'd say something, and then they'd sit down. Uh, and it was just, it was very confusing to me. But I, as, as 
Christy and I decided to have children, I kept feeling this tug in my heart to grow closer to God. And um, so then I started looking towards the Catholic Church for guidance. And that led to actually RCIA. Um, for those of you not familiar, that's the journey you go through when you're an adult looking to become Catholic. So I started at St. Anne's and Gilbert. That was a wonderful experience for me. It was a great opportunity for me to learn about this new religion. It was new to me. And just the background behind it, the traditions behind it. It also brought me really close to Christ. And um, it was just a really neat, the way that they did it down there, and I'm sure it's the same here as well at St. Patrick's, it was a really neat op opportunity for me to learn how to balance my faith background as a Mennonite with Catholicism. So ultimately, I, um, I got baptized and confirmed about 14 years ago. I am going to share a little deeper about my faith in a bit, but I'd like to give a little more uh, background on the journey that helped shape it along the way. So part of this journey that's kind of shaped my life has been, has been my professional, professional journey. So my education led to several positions um, in finance, uh, a lot of them in lending. Um, I've worked on all sides of lending transactions from selling loans to underwriting loans like boats and cars and homes and that type of thing. Um, and eventually I moved into um, commercial real estate. And so it's kind of a bad picture, but uh, I became a commercial real estate broker here in the Valley um, in the early 2000s. And um, I think that was in the Arizona Republic sometime during that early 2000s. And I, and I did that all the way up to the big crash of 2008. And um, at that time, I was almost exclusively a, a commercial broker for a local development company that would convert apartments to condominiums. When the real estate market started to turn in 2007, 2008, um, it looked like single-family homes were really what was going to be having issues, and it looked like condominiums were going to ride through. Um, these were condominiums for first-time home buyers, you know, lower-priced condominiums. Uh, but what happened November 2008, banks basically stopped lending to buyers of condominiums. I mean, they just completely stopped. The result, it was a catastrophic deterioration of prices. I mean, it was way more than I'd ever seen elsewhere in real estate. For example, condominiums that were selling for $135,000, within a couple weeks were selling, or were valued at, they weren't even selling, were valued at $28,000. So it was one-fifth of the value just in a couple of weeks. So it was catastrophic, and so the sales just completely ceased. Operations had to be closed down. And the inability to sell condominiums meant that investor and lender payments couldn't be made. So that, that really led to the hardest period of my life to this point. Um, we were working about 15 hours a day to coordinate with private investors and private lenders to unwind assets and, um, and just work through all of the paperwork involved with that. As you can imagine, um, people weren't happy going through that. Um, I remember one day I actually had someone come into my office and threaten to kill me. I mean, it was, it was deep and dark. Um, and uh, and then lawsuits and investigations begin. Um, as you guys know, when people lose money, they sue everybody in their sites. Um, so being named in several multi-million dollar lawsuits was very, very stressful. Um, and each one of those had to be defended. And then investigations, um, the FBI, Securities and Exchange Commission, Arizona Department of Real Estate, it all almost became too much to handle. Um, it took several years, and it was a great expense to work through all that, but, but in the end, um, every lawsuit was, was either won by us or it was dismissed at no fault, and all the investigations proved that there was no wrongdoing. So 
let me tell you, it was a really dark time period. Um, but I think you guys have probably experienced those in your life where the darkest times you have in your life are also the ones that bring us closer to Christ. For me, I mean, that's when I really started to grow my closest to, to Jesus. And I, I love this picture because I knew, that, I knew that he knew that I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't steal any money. I didn't commit any fraud. I knew it was the same for the people that I worked with and I represented, that they didn't steal any money, they didn't commit any fraud. And so having that comfort got me through that. Um, and thankfully, an end did come. We were able to finally pick up the pieces. Um, it was tough. I, I was bankrupt. It was at the lowest point of my life. Um, but I felt closest to God than I ever had at any point in my life um, because he carried me through that. Um, so we've been working through that. And 10 years later, I'll be honest, we're we're still working through the financial challenges of, of that crash. And I'm sure most of you have similar stories of, of 2008 as well. But good comes out of this. It marked a transition in my life that led me down the path that I'm currently on. In 2009, me and a, a few business partners, one, one of whom is actually here with us today, we started a company that began producing business directories for churches. And so this is a directory of all, the of all the businesses that go to a specific church. And it's meant not just for the people who go to that church to find the businesses, but it's also meant for the community around the church as an outreach tool. Um, we started this at Central Christian Church here in Arizona. You guys might know that church. And then we grew it throughout the country, and, and we've been able to work with some of the largest churches in America, like Saddleback Church with Pastor Rick Warren, um, and Christ Fellowship down in uh, Florida where John Maxwell is a pastor. So I think we've done that probably at 85 churches around the country. We would do a printed directory, kind of like this, for the church. And then we would do a mobile online directory as well. One thing we noticed right away, though, is the second we would print one of these, is it was out of date, right? Just immediately. So we had to come up with strategies of how do we continue to connect with the community and tell them about this resource of Christian businesses. Um, so one of, the, one of the strategies we came up with was uh, it was actually an invention that led to a patent. It's a, it's a tool where when it's on your machine, you download it, and it connects when you're searching in Google. It connects you with the businesses of that church. It's a really neat tool. But it still didn't solve the larger problem of print going the way of newspapers. People just were not going to printed directories anymore. So we had to come up with, with other strategies. And what we figured out how to do that was to, um, was to do digital ads. We would do digital ads in Google that would tell the people around a church about that resource so that the people living around a church would know that this resource was available for Christian businesses. That solved the issue. That helped us get rid of the printed directory, but it also led to a new part of our business, and that's digital, digital media. We still do business directories for churches all over the country, but this is really the biggest part of our growth. And so that biggest part of our growth is helping churches find unchurched people around the community and invite them in with Facebook and Google and Instagram and YouTube. I'm going to show you guys a few examples in a second, but that really defined our business as, as missional marketing. And in building this business, we've had consistently two recurring themes. The first is, it goes to the, to the Bible in, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go out into the world and make disciples. Go where they're at and tell them about Jesus. And this is not news to everybody, but this is where people are at these days, right? I mean, this is where we communicate. This is where we keep our calendar. This is where we play. This is where we get invited to activities, events, and it's where we get invited to church right here. 
So when we can find ways to use technology to invite people to church, that's really what we're passionate about. I'll show you guys a couple of examples. So like, for example, at Christmas, we would do ads in Google and Facebook to invite the community to Christmas at that church. The second theme we see in our business uh, goes to Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 33.3. And it says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. There's a lot of hurting in the world. And people go to Google and they're typing in searches. They're, they're typing in words to try to get guidance. But the problem is the results they get are secular and not connected to a church. And so what we've done is we've connected, when people type in, for example, anxiety, we will connect them with a local church, Cornerstone Church. What people don't realize is the hunger they have is for Jesus. They're trying to find solutions in other things, but we're connecting them with Jesus, and so we're really passionate about that, and, uh, and that's been a really interesting part of our business. So I've really been blessed to have my professional life intersect with my spiritual life, and, and all of these experiences really give me the opportunity to reflect on my life, um, particularly on my faith. And there's two parts of my faith that I want to share with you guys today. And again, this is just in hopes that at least one of you walks out of here with a, a new idea to think about. So the first is prayer. Um, I think prayer is sometimes glossed over in our minds as being somewhat routine or even an afterthought. Um, one of the challenges I found in attending Mass before going through RCIA is that I felt that the structure of the Mass was, it was theatrical and planned out. Now, of course, when I went through RCIA, I, I learned the deep meaning of our, of our background, and I grew to love that stand-up, sit-down, spin-around, but that's how I felt originally. I think prayer is probably the most important aspects of our relationship with Christ, but I also think that often we only look at it in the context of Mass, or in other times when we're prompted to pray. Um, for example, <laughs> we're prompted to pray when we, when we, when we, uh, <laughs> when we go to a meal. And <laughs> sometimes this is very routine. Bless us, O Lord, and these like gifts which we're about to receive from the bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. Right? It's a routine. Um, or in the case of like our uh, breakfast here, it's, it's David coming up and he's prompting us to pray. Now, don't get me wrong. I think these are great prayers. I think it's the blessing of a community to join our prayers together and send them to God. But what I'm talking about today is personal prayer, a one-on-one -on -one prayer between you and Jesus. When I'm talking to the youth of our church, I'll, I'll talk about the types of prayer that they have throughout the day. It could be just one word. It can just be the word Jesus. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I'm worried about this test. Jesus, I need help with this relationship. I like to use the example of how often they talk to their, their friends, whether it's with texting or, or talking. How often do they talk with them throughout the day? And if they, if they did just a fraction of that communication with Jesus, think about the prayer life they'd have, right? But here's what the kids say to me. They say, yeah, Kevin, when I send a text to my friend, doo -doo -doo, 10 seconds later, I get a text back, right? When I say a prayer to Jesus, nothing, right? Crickets. Silence. That's what they get. Now, that's a, it's a good point, though. I mean, here's how I approach that question. I think it's a question we, we all deal with, and that's the answer to our prayers. Here's what I say to the kids, and I'm going to say it today as well. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys to do this, to look around the room. Just look around your tables and notice the people around you. And so, okay, you guys can actually do this, and you can smile while you do this. It's a fun exercise. 
So look around your tables and notice the different ages, the backgrounds, experiences. You can see people you know have had the biggest challenges in life. You know people have had the greatest triumphs in life. And I know there's people in this room who are going through tremendous challenges right now. Well, God made each one of us and each one of the people you see in this room. So doesn't it make sense that God answers prayers through his creation, through us, through people, through the world around us? You see, I think we get caught up expecting a verbal answer to our prayers when in reality God answers prayers through people and through creation. All this really comes evident to me in one of Paul Hillebrand's songs. I didn't tell him I was going to talk about this. It's one of the songs we sing at Mass. It's called, We Are Your Presence, Lord. Um, in the song, the lyrics refer to each one of us as being Christ's body to the world. There's a line in the song that you guys probably know, and it's exactly what I'm talking about. It goes like this. We are your body now. Your hands, your smile, your eyes. You guys know that song, right? It's a great song. I'm a drummer, not a singer, so thank you for not throwing bagels at me. I'm a horrible singer. But that line is exactly what I'm talking about. In other words, each one of us is God's creation. Is, we're the physical embodiment of Christ, and Christ can act through us to help other people in their challenges. Prayers are communicated back to us through the world around us, but first we've got to put it out there in faith throughout the day. And second, we've got to be open to the multitude of ways that God may answer those prayers through people and through his creation. Now, I've seen the Holy Spirit work through God in, in, community, in, uh, in community situations as well in answering prayers, and mostly this has been through the youth in our church. For those of you not familiar with the Edge Middle School ministry that Kevin was talking about, it's 6th, 7th, and 8th grade uh, kids here at St. Patrick's. So these are 11 to 14-year-old kids. Now, this is a tough time in kids' life. It's the first time that they're going through these physical and emotional changes in their bodies. It's the first time they realize that they have an identity away from their parents. And they're also growing at different paces than their friends, right? And so it can be confusing, stressful, lonely, pressure-filled. And then you add to that, some of the adult challenges that these kids are going through is, is crazy. I mean, with divorce and sickness and other stuff. And it's just it's amazing what these kids are going through. But in the midst of this, we have the opportunity to spend time with them in adoration, in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And we do that through Edge Camp and throughout the year. But here's the amazing thing. When you ask these kids, these are middle school kids, what do you like most about Edge Camp or what do you like about the Edge? They, they say adoration. It's crazy. I mean, these kids are hungering for a direct connection with Jesus, and it's amazing to see that in middle school kids. At Edge Camp this last fall, we were preparing the kids for adoration, and what we like to do is we like to slow things down. Instead of just going straight into adoration, we want to slow down a little bit and talk to the kids about their lives. So what we did in the fall is we had a little fake candle. In our small groups, we would pass it around to the, to the group, and we'd ask the kids and the adults to share what they wanted to pray about. A small group is usually one to two core members to maybe eight to ten kids. What happened this last fall in my group, the first kid had the candle, and he shared, he shared that his family was going through a divorce, and it was pretty emotional. Passed the candle, and a few kids later, another kid said the same thing. Passed the candle, third kid said the same thing. My group had 11 kids, and there were three of the kids going through divorce right then, and it was, it was tough. But here's the really amazing thing. As we moved into adoration of the Blessed Sacrament and time with Jesus, these kids comforted each other by just putting an arm around each other. That's it. 
That's Jesus working through people. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I just love thinking about that's how, that's how God works. I've encountered the power of prayer with the older youth as well. This is my first year as a core member um, on Life Teen. And I was able to go on the fall retreat this last November. Some of you may have heard or even experienced how powerful adoration is with, with Life Teen. But I, I was in no way prepared for what God had planned there. I was asked to pray with the teens in the back of the room. And that's done with three adults to one teen in the back of the room. And uh, I've got to be honest, words cannot describe the power of the Holy Spirit that I saw and felt in that room. I mean, I've never seen anything like that before. And it further deepened my, my belief in the power of prayer, in the power of just releasing to Jesus. In the end, I really felt like an instrument of grace being part of, uh, part of that. But it was physically and emotionally exhausting. I mean, I, I tried to stand up after that, and I literally fell over. I've never experienced that before. And then when I tried to go to sleep that night, I was feeling tremendous spiritual warfare in my, in my body and my soul. It was like Satan was angry for all the good that was going on in those prayers. So it was truly amazing. So guys, prayer is powerful. And I think it makes sense in a room full of men to say, real men pray, right? Can I get an amen to that? So prayer is the first part of my faith I want to share with you guys today. Um, the second is Eucharist and how I think about Jesus in the Eucharist. For those of you asleep in the back, don't, don't worry, I'm nearing the end of my talk. So I think grasping the Eucharist might be one of, one of the biggest challenges of being Catholic, but I also think it's one of the most powerful aspects of being Catholic. Part of the challenge, I think, is that the Eucharist, and with faith in general, is our human minds are so limited that it's hard for us to grasp the power of Jesus. The neat thing is that scripture actually gives us guidance in this. And one of the, one of the scriptures that blows me away when I really think about it is the last line of the Gospels. It's the very last line of the Gospels. And it's at the end of John. It says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That's crazy when you pause and think about it. So if you guys look at this stack of books, this is, my, this is my stack of books here. If I put another book on top of this one, and another one on top of that, another one on top of that, all the way up to the ceiling, but imagine there's no ceiling, so it goes all the way up to the sky, tiny pinpoint in the sky. And then there's another stack next to that, another one next to that, another one next to that, all the way out to the wall, to the parking lot, to the street. It fills up the whole area. It goes all the way down to Shea, down to Tempe, down to Mexico. It fills the whole world. If, it, if all these books filled up the whole world, how many books would that be? That'd be countless books, right? And those books would not be enough to contain all that Jesus does. When you really think about that, it's amazing. Our minds can't grasp the power of Jesus in human terms, but we know enough of him and of his creation to know that he's real. And if he can do that much, doesn't it make sense that he could come to us in the bread and Eucharist? I think the beautiful thing about faith is it's just between you and God and between me and God. And that gives us some freedom in figuring out how to practice our faith and how we look at certain parts of that faith, like the Eucharist. One, one aspect from RCIA that really helped me in thinking about the Eucharist is that when Father Eric or Father Andre or any priest lifts up the body and blood of Christ, he refers to it as the mystery of faith, right? I love that, because doesn't the fact that it's a mystery mean that we don't have to understand exactly how it comes about? It's a mystery, right? 
we got some grace there. I think it also gives us the opportunity to think about this mystery in our, in our own terms. What ways can I think about the Eucharist in a way that, that brings me closer to Jesus? Now, from RCIA, I learned the approach I'm going to share with you guys here in a second. It may be different than what you guys think about the Eucharist. And I'm actually glad Father Eric is in here because it might not be Catholic teaching and he might have stormed the stage and thrown me off. <laughs> but how I look at the Eucharist, and again, this is just me personally, I look at the Eucharist backwards. I could be wrong, but I think a lot of times Catholics think about the Eucharist as bread being turned to flesh and thinking of that flesh in human terms like skin. And for me, I have a hard time then thinking about you know, the taste, the smell, the texture of flesh. I have a hard time with that, and it might be tough for some of you. Now, that said, I don't want to take away, um, for any of you that have seen Eucharistic miracles around the world where you can see flesh and blood, I know my friend Mark saw some of those last year overseas. I don't want to take away any of that. Um, I just want to share, for me, what I think of in that moment when I'm taking the Eucharist, I think of it differently. I think of it backwards. Instead of bread turning into flesh-like skin, what I see in my mind is Jesus turning his flesh into bread so that I can eat it. Just like he made every molecule, every electron, proton, neutron, every speck of dust, everything you see, I believe he can do that. Turn it to the form of bread so that we can consume him. Again, just, just think about creation. God does countless things in nature. If you think about the sun's path, that's just one thing. Right here in Arizona at the Veterans um, Memorial in Anthem, the sun lines up perfectly every year on Veterans Day. Veterans Day is November 11th. And so November 11th, so 11-11 at 11-11 a.m., the sun lines up right there. Every year. That's amazing. That's God. That's, that's him with precision. If he can do something like that in precision in nature, doesn't it make sense that he can turn his flesh to bread so we can eat it? If God made every speck of dust, every grain of sand, every, the, the structure be, behind every piece of material on your shirt, guys, look down at your shirt at every little thread. If he does that, doesn't it mean that he can turn his flesh to bread so we can eat it? I think the Eucharist is amazingly powerful, and it's, it's a great connection for us with Jesus. And if I wouldn't have become Catholic, I would have missed out on that completely. I would have missed out on that direct relationship that's best found in the Holy Eucharist. So again, if I'm stretching beyond Catholic teaching, I hope for some grace. But I just wanted to share how I personally form a closer relationship with Jesus and how I think of him in the Eucharist. I think the mystery of faith gives us some leeway in how we can approach that in our human minds. So that's it. I think I'm out of time. I want to thank you guys so much. I love St. Patrick's, and I'm so honored to be brothers with you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast Weekly Mass Readings. We are Christian Disciples in Mission, providing this service to strengthen your experience at Mass.